Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you <clears throat> for joining us. I'm Father Chris Ayler, one of the Marian priests here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. And today, um, I have been pushing this off for 133 weeks, and uh, it's because I really wanted to do my homework. This is probably the most requested of all the talks we have done, even more than Divine Mercy, we have been asked over and over, Father, please comment, please speak on communion in the hand versus on the tongue. Is it sacrilege? Can we be forced to only receive in the hand? Am I allowed to receive whenever I want on the tongue? If I do receive in the hand, is it offensive to God? We're going to talk about all of this as we take you back to seminary and give you some reminders of the incredible grace, the source and summit of our faith, that is the Eucharist. And so uh, we hope you'll stay with us. Let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and all glory for the gift of your Son, who has manifested himself in the source and summit of our faith, the incredible gift of the Eucharist, we ask you to always give us the grace to receive it in a state of grace, reverently, and allowing it to change our lives to be effective in our hearts. And we ask all this through the intercession of our Blessed Mother Mary and through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, so this is a huge issue. Um, one, though, that is neither in any Vatican II document, or even in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Can you believe that? One of the biggest issues we are facing, no mention in Vatican II documents, or in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It came after... Vatican II. And what we have now is what we, you know, I, I think the best way to say is what we have in church documents now is very clear. Receiving on the tongue is desired, and through an indult, receiving in the hand is allowed. Desired on the tongue, allowed in the hand, but we're going to explore this. All right. Either way, you got to be reverent. If you truly met our Lord after you die, are you just going to flippantly say, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, oh, I'll get with you in a second. You'd fall down in awe. You'd fall down on your knees. I mean, that's the whole meaning. What do you say when you receive Holy Communion? No matter which way you say amen, which means I believe. You know, basically, I'm saying this is the body of Christ. And so the germ, when I say germ, it's not COVID. Okay, G-I-R-M is the general instruction of the Roman Missal. Specifically states, quote, the consecrated host, and this is number 160, may be received either on the tongue or in the hand, at the discretion of each communicant, but there's way more to it than that. And this is what we're going to unpack today. All right. So the following response, I'm going to show you on the screen right now, appeared in one of the issues back in 24 years ago in 
Um, one of the articles of an, of an article of a magazine, Noticiatier, the official publication of the Congregation of Divine Worship regarding the reception of Holy Communion. Noticiatier. Let's look at our screen. Right now, this is what it said. Certainly, it is clear from the very documents of the Holy See that in dioceses where the Eucharistic bread is put in the hands of the faithful, the right to receive the Eucharistic bread on the tongue still remains intact. Therefore, those who restrict communicants to receive Holy Communion only in the hand are acting against the norms. You cannot be denied Holy Communion on the tongue, on your knees. You can't be denied it. And that's actually the proper way to receive it. So we're going to talk about this more. As are those who refuse to who refuse to Christ faithful the right to receive Holy Communion in the hand in dioceses that have this indult. All right. Now we'll see that there's exceptions to this. We actually here at the National Shrine had a case where we could not let people receive in the hand. They had to receive on the tongue. We're going to talk about that. All right. So Ordinary and extraordinary ministers should take care that the host is consumed at once, all right, so that no one goes away with the Eucharistic species in their hands. I had a case right here at this altar, and I always watch when I distribute Holy Communion, okay? I always watch if somebody receives it in the hand. You are supposed to consume it. You are supposed to step aside and receive Holy Communion, if you're going to do it in the hand, you have to reverently bow, you receive it in your hand, and we're going to talk about more of this in a minute. Step one side over and consume it. You are not to start running away. And so this woman received it, and you are not to grab it out of the priest's hands. You are to receive it. You do not snatch it up like a snapping turtle, okay? You receive it if you're going to do this, but we're going to talk about why it should be on the tongue. And she started heading out, and I'm watching, and she's heading down the aisle, and I'm watching, and she starts going out the back door. I start, ma'am, excuse me, she kept going. Ma'am, excuse me, she kept going right out that door. I chased her right out the door. Not to intimidate, it's just, you need to give me back that most blessed sacrament. And she says, well, I'm going to eat it outside. I said, no. You have to consume it here. Please return it to me if you're not going to consume it. Because this is what's happening. This is the problem that we have. One of the issues with receiving in the hand is it gives rise to these kinds of abuses that could be taken to black masses. All right. So one of the things... The third thing it says is, let all remember that time-honored tradition is to receive the host on the tongue. This is not changed. This is the writings of the church today. Vatican II didn't change us. There's not a single word mentioned in the Vatican II documents to receive in your hand. Yet when I go to parishes all over the country, I was even at one parish where I had a, we'll just say a nice conversation with the DRE, and they were training the kids for First Communion, and they all had to receive in the hand. I, I said, no. In their age of reason, seven years old, they can choose to receive on the tongue. That is their right. You cannot deny that. 
And so the church documents say, remember that the time-honored tradition is to receive the host on the tongue. The celebrant priest, if there is a present danger of sacrilege, should not give the faithful communion in the hand, and he should make them aware of the reason why. We had to do this right here at the shrine. Father Anthony made a great decision. We had a horrible windy day on Divine Mercy Sunday, and the hosts, when they were placed in the hand, were being blown we're being blown across the property. We made the decision, you will only receive on the tongue. So the priest has the right to say you will only receive on the tongue, but he does not have the right to tell you that you will only receive in the hand. So very interesting. All right, now, what is the argument for receiving on the tongue other than it's the norm? Listen to some of these. All right, the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 2, verse 8, we read, open thy mouth and eat that which I will give thee. Who's talking? God. What about in the Psalms? Psalm 80, open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. I will fill it, not you. I. Christ is the one who feeds, feeds us, right? I'm incapable of feeding myself spiritually, even though I'm a priest. You are incapable of feeding yourself spiritually. God feeds us. We don't feed ourselves. In the hand, you're feeding yourself. Oh, I'm grown up now. I read this. One of the bishops said, the reason we receive in the hand is because we are adults. <laughs> if you listen to Jesus, then you're not getting into the kingdom of God. He says, we got to be like little children. And what is the little children? The parent, the father feeds them, right? This is powerful stuff. So Jesus said we must be like little children. And Thomas Aquinas, I'm a Thomistic trained priest. And Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas says, he refers to the practice of receiving Holy Communion only on the tongue. He affirms that touching the body of the Lord is proper only to the ordained priest. Now, I'm going to explain to you, you're not sinning by receiving in the hand because there isn't an adult, but we're going to get into that. What does Thomas Aquinas say? Let's show our next slide. This is his words from the Summa Theologia, uh, part 382. All right. Out of reverence towards this sacrament, nothing touches it. But what is consecrated? Only the consecrated touches it. Hence, the corporal and the chalice are consecrated. Do you ever wonder why if you go to an ordination, they consecrate the chalice? Do you ever wonder that? Why don't they consecrate the cruets? Why do they consecrate the chalice? Because it touches our Lord. So the chalice is consecrated. He says this, hence the corporal and the chalice are consecrated. And likewise, the priest's hands for touching the sacrament. Hence, it is not lawful for anyone else to touch it except from necessity. And that's what we're going to talk about extraordinary ministers in a minute. For instance, if it were to fall upon the ground or else in some other case of urgency. A priest just sitting down because he doesn't feel like distributing Holy Communion is not urgency. Now, if he's 98 years old, like my parents' priest... God bless Father Tom in Brooklyn, Michigan. 
this guy, not Father Tom, uh, Father, um, I'm apologizing, he's the other priest, but he's, nine, he's a World War II veteran, 99 years old. He can't even walk, yet this guy gets to the altar to celebrate Mass. He can barely stand. They have to prop him up at the altar. Now, if this guy can't literally go and distribute 200 Holy Communions, God bless, that's when we have the need for an extraordinary minister. But not when there's a 30-year-old priest that just doesn't feel like it. It's a big difference. And so people will argue that, well, Father, wait a minute. Your hands are no less consecrated than your tongue. If you tell me that I can't receive in my hand because my hands are not consecrated, I can't receive on my tongue either because my tongue is no less consecrated than my hands or no more consecrated than my hands. That's a common argument. Is it true? Actually, no. Do you know in the old rite in baptism, what did they consecrate? The tongue. Salt was actually put on the baby's tongue to consecrate it. Doesn't that make perfect sense? So the tongue was more consecrated than the hands. And in fact, by nature, God gives us, he works with nature. The saliva in your mouth cleanses and actually purifies your mouth way more than your hands. Your, hand, your, your mouth is much more because the saliva is cleansing it than the dirt on your hands. And so this is something very important. Um, the saliva washes and cleanses the mouth. The hands remain dirty. Now, let's go on. What, what about the saints? What do they say? St. Catherine of Siena. Do you know that she received Holy Communion directly from Jesus? How? In her mouth. Mother Teresa, Mother Angelica, countless others were for Holy Communion on the tongue. Do you know that there is no evidence of any early pope allowing Holy Communion in the hand? Well, Father, Holy Communion in the hand is more ancient than on the tongue. We're going to talk about that. John Paul II, listen to this quote. Never heard this before. Chris Sparks found me this quote. Never heard this before. John Paul II, quote, but I say that I cannot be for Communion in the hand, and I also cannot recommend it. Interesting. You never hear that. At Fatima, how did the children receive Holy Communion from the angel? In the mouth. When Mary first appeared at Medjugorje, only the tongue was allowed in Medjugorje until pilgrims started coming. And when the pilgrims kept coming more and more, they changed it to also receive in the hand. If it is allowed in the hands, abuses can become problematic. Okay, one priest I was reading about thought that it would be meaningful if the bride and the groom gave each other Holy Communion. What? This is a priest thinking it's good that the bride and the groom handy give each other Holy Communion. Whoa. Others saw parents. I remember I was at a mission and the priest in the mass before me and I was coming in to celebrate another mass and a parent took the Holy Communion, went back to her pew, broke it up like a cookie and gave it to her infant. Like a cookie. You got to be prepared to receive. And so these are the abuses that could happen. Um... 
during the Middle Ages, after they were receiving in the hand, this is true, way back in the 800s, they were receiving in the hand, but in the Middle Ages, they stopped and went only to the tongue because of abuses. So when people say that the hand is more ancient, you got to say, yes, but what happened? They ended up restricting it in the Middle Ages and went to only the tongue because of these abuses. Also, too, the reverence. Do you know in 1950, in the United States, 87% of people, Catholics, believed in the real presence? Today, it's 30. Bishops, God bless them in the Philippines. You know what the bishops in the Philippines? And by the way, if you're watching from the Philippines, I'm excited to announce, I will be there the last few days of July and the first week of August, and I'll be speaking to 800 priests and bishops in the Philippines, in the northern part of the Philippines. And they're going to extend my stay there a couple days so I can have a talk with the laity. So I'll get all the detail, the location, and the dates. Stay tuned, but I'm excited. But the bishops of the Philippines, they have returned to only communion on the tongue. All right, let's look at our next slide. You ever hear of this woman? God bless her. Maria Sima. Everything that I can gather, she's approved by the church. She they might not have ruled on everything, but there's nothing about her writings that have been condemned, and her writings are amazing. This is Maria Sima. She wrote a book called Get Us Out of Here. It's about the purgatory, souls in purgatory, right? Now, she, in this book, details the um, explanation of an exorcist who said that although it is not a sin, Satan said, his work was being done, such as the laity distributing Holy Communion, people receiving in the hands, no kneeling. These are not sinful, but according to Maria Sima, Satan said this is his work. Now, the holy souls said only consecrated hands of a priest may distribute Holy Communion unless there's extreme reason. This is the same thing we just heard from Thomas Aquinas. All right. Here's one interesting they said, a, you, and I'm just telling you what she said, okay? Don't, I'm not trying to scare anybody, okay? I'm just reading you what she said. But I read this book last night. You know, um, by the way, how's everybody doing on your fasting? Did you get through Friday yesterday or at least abstinence? So I was up way past midnight last night. And when the clock hit midnight, I was starving. So I got the leftover barbecue ribs. <laughs> And so here it was at 12.01, and I'm heating up leftover barbecue ribs, and I thought, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm really defeating the purpose here of what it really means to fast. 12.01, and I'm breaking into the leftover barbecue ribs. But I'm reading this book, Get Us Out of Here, by Maria Sima, and I, I can't share everything with you, but, but one of them was that she saw a soul in purgatory that was an extraordinary minister. And this soul had been an extraordinary minister out of pride, not out of service to the priest. He used to tell the priest that she'll distribute. Well, when Maria saw her in purgatory, her hands were black, completely black, because she was suffering from the receiving and touching with unconsecrated hands. But she was prideful about it. Now, please don't write me that you should resign as an extraordinary minister if you're truly helping, you're humble. It's different. Okay, so then, then she saw a fallen away priest, a Satanist, 
named Mason Stan, or and a Mason, sorry, a Satanist and a Mason. His name was Stanislaus de Guata. And he said, when all Catholics receive in the hand, our goal is accomplished. There was a Masonic plan in 1925, according to my research, and it said, how can we rob the faithful of their belief in the real presence? First, get them to stand. Next, get them to receive in the hand. Then they will see it only as a symbol. And then, inevitably, they will fall away. Now, does that mean that if you receive standing in the hand that you're not faithful? No, I'm not saying that. Can you be very faithful by receiving that way? If you're reverent, you're humble, absolutely. But the problem is, is somebody growing up in this environment, it lends much more potential dangers, all I'm trying to say. This allows hosts to be used in black masses. Maria Simi, Sima, you know what she said? This was, the, this was the line that really got me. She said, the laity are not guilty of sin by receiving in the hand because the bishops gave an indult to do it. So please don't be watching this and saying, I, Father, go to confession and say, Father Chris said that I'm in the state of mortal sin. What, what Maria Simi said is, and I'm giving you just her words, that the laity are not guilty of sin because the church's authority has granted in the United States and other places around the world an indult. But you know what she said about the bishops? She said the bishops who supported communion in the hand will remain in purgatory until the rule is changed. Woo! Glad I'm not a bishop. <laughs> so, something to pray on. Let's look at our next slide. This indult that we have to receive in the hand, a lot of people will use, and I did too. I tell you, my, my whole opinion on this changed quite a bit just recently since I've been researching more on this. I would always argue that we have an indult. There's absolutely nothing wrong. In a way, that's true. But what I didn't fully know until doing a lot of research this week was that indult was born out of disobedience. Let's listen. And this is, this is documented fact. All right. The idea that Vatican II called for the practice of receiving Holy Communion in the hand is a myth. No, it did not. Vatican, there's no Vatican II document calling to receive Holy Communion in the hand. It was several years later, the mistaken understanding of the spirit of Vatican II. All right. So several years after the close of the council, certain dioceses were acting in disobedience to the law of the church on the method of distributing Holy Communion on the tongue. And they were receiving in the hand. This was a special problem in the church. And it was in France, Germany, Belgium, and Holland. Guess what four nations we have the most problem with the Catholic Church right now? France, 4% practice their faith. Germany, I don't even want to get into the synod. And what's going on with Germany and those German bishops? Pray for them. I'm not here to criticize. Pray for them. Holland, the number one fallen away country in the world. Any coincidence? 
What happened was Paul VI in 1969 in his document Memoriale Domini reminded the church that the method of distributing Holy Communion was to be on the tongue. People blame Paul VI. I think what I'm seeing from Paul VI is he's tried to stand for the right things, but as you'll see in a minute, he, he wavered. But he had that authority. Now, Paul VI said communion in the hand. He said this, started in Holland, the number one fallen away country in the world in 1965 with those who denied the real presence. He told the Dutch bishops, you must return to Holy Communion on the tongue, but they disobeyed. Again, any coincidence why they're the least Catholic nation now? Over time, Paul VI gave in, and he let them, along with France, Germany, Belgium, and later the United States, to receive in the hand. He gave it he, you know, he gave it in a limited way only to certain dioceses, not all. It was never to be nationwide in any of these countries. So the fact that it went nationwide in the, in, in the receiving of the hand was wrong. So when bishops disobey the Holy Father, they're the ones culpable, not the laity. So please don't don't fall apart here in this talk because you're saying, oh my gosh, I've been receiving in the hand. I mean, discern it, think about it. You make, you make it discerned and you pray on it. But you're not guilty of sin because your bishops have allowed it. They're the ones responsible. Basically, Paul VI, it is said, was manipulated. It was right after this, he said, the smoke of Satan has entered the church. Interesting. I won't even get into Bugnini. I read a whole thing more on him, proven that he was a Mason, but he manipulated Paul VI. But by the time it was realized, it was too late. It was already spread in all these nations. Cardinal Dobfner, he said that had he known what irreverence would come, he wouldn't have supported it. You know, I went through document after document of the church yesterday and this whole week. I could only find one document that support, supports communion in the hand. One. Tons of others reaffirming the norm is to receive on the tongue. Hand communion, it arrived in Italy because of tourists from France, Germany, Holland, the United States. And then the priests there pressured the bishops. So basically, money of the tourist triumph over the reverence of Christ in the Eucharist. Now, Bugnini developed the peace greeting. I used to say, let us offer each other the sign of peace. I don't now. Because I found out that it used to not be where it is now currently in the Mass. We're at the most reverent part in the Mass. Our Lord is on the altar. And we're talking about football games and backslapping. It's not the time. There's time for that, but not then. I found out that there used to be the kiss of peace. Father, how are you, what are you talking about, Father? There's always been the kiss of peace. It's ancient, yes, but it was before the consecration. 
Bugnini move that? He made it seem that the peace greeting was the most important part of the Mass. There was peace greeting in the ancient church, yes, but again, it was before consecration, not after. Now, the church allows it, so if you're at a Mass and the priest does it, please don't condemn him in my name. But under receiving in the hand, we have to ask ourselves, the church allows it, yes, you are not sinning, no, but under what circumstances? It says urgency, and under what methods? It happened by disobedience. I'm just giving you the facts. These are, not, these are not my speculations. So it came to the U.S. as an exception to the law called an indult. That's what indult means, an exception to the law. An adult, an indult doesn't mean, oh, you're good, it's equal. No, an adult means, an indult means an exception to the rule, an exception to the law. So the bishops in the United States voted, and they kept falling short of the two-thirds that you need in the USCCB to mandate, or not mandate, but to allow the indult. So guess what happened? Let's look at our next slide. Cardinal Bernadine from Chicago decided, and this was unlawful, to begin gathering absentee ballots, absentee votes from any bishop he could find, including retired bishops who no longer administered any diocese. This is not lawful. Consequently, the number of bishops was adjusted, and he got the two-thirds majority to allow this indult. So the Holy See, Paul VI, they address this by giving seven regulations concerning communion in the hand. And failure to maintain these regulations could result in the loss of an indult. I'm just going to give you the first three. You're going to be surprised. Well, maybe you won't be surprised. The first three regulations that the Holy See gave in order to keep your indult, otherwise you lose your indult, are number one, Respecting the laity who continue to request the traditional practice of receiving kneeling on the tongue. What's our grade on that one? F. How many laity have been denied receiving kneeling on the tongue? Second, maintaining the laity's proper respect of the Eucharist. Wow, clown masses. Craziness, people walking out the door with hosts in their pocket. I once found a host in a hymnal. Doesn't look like we're doing too good on number two. And number three, strengthening the laity's belief in the real presence. We went from 87% to 30%. So by all accounts, we have failed the Holy See's requirements in order to keep the indult. Basically, to keep the indult, the Holy See says, one, you could not stop people from receiving on the tongue. We have. Number two, that the laity has to maintain proper respect, and you can show it. We can't because we have all kinds of abuse. And three, that they have to believe and continue to be strongly believing in the real presence. We went from 87% to 30% belief in the real presence. So... This is an issue. So what is the rights of the communicant? What do you have a right as a communicant? Let's go through this. All right, the universal law of the Latin rite, that's who we are, is that we can receive 
Holy Communion two ways, but the norm, as I said, is on the tongue. To receive in the hand is an indult with special permission that does not exist in most countries. I just gave you the few that it does. By law, it is a right of the faithful to receive on the tongue, and that can never be denied. Canon 223 is very interesting because most people will use this for the pandemic. What does Canon 223 say? It says that the local bishop has the authority over liturgical law in his own diocese during extraordinary circumstances and can mandate communion in the hand only for the common good. Everybody pointed to that in the pandemic, even bishops. Okay, Canon 223 says in the case of extreme circumstances, the bishop can mandate communion in the hand only, prohibiting you from receiving in the mouth for the common good. Everybody pointed to that. You know what? After doing some research, thank you, Father Matthew Tomini, our rector here, after doing some research, and looking into this, you know what we found out? The Code of Canon Law only refers to the common good in the spiritual sense. The salvation of souls, it says, not social conditions like COVID. So this whole basis of shutting down receiving Holy Communion on the mouth was told us by Canon 223 was because the bishop has the authority in extreme circumstances for the common good to relegate it only to the hand is regarding spiritual good, which I can never think of an example, but not social conditions like COVID. The Holy See has made it explicit that there is no exception Bishops tried restricting communion on the tongue. Did you know this? I bet you don't even remember this. During the swine flu pandemic of 2009, they called it extraordinary circumstances. I don't know if you even remember this. 2009, the swine flu hit and many bishops denied communion on the tongue. Now get a load of this. The CDW. The Congregation for Divine Worship responded in a letter saying, Redemptionis Sacramentum, paragraph 92 is clear that it is illicit for anyone to deny someone communion on the tongue under any circumstances. Listen to this, paragraph 92 of Redemptionis Sacramentum. Each of the faithful always has the right to receive Holy Communion on the tongue. And you know, Father Matt, Tomini and I were meeting and, and he found where the bishops told him back in the swine flu pandemic in 2009, always means always. <laughs> so they, they spoke on this. It also says each person has the right to receive in the hand in areas where the bishop's conference allowed an indult and it was approved by the Holy See. So note, bishops are not free to even permit communion in the hand on their own. 
Not even a conference of bishops like the USCCB can permit communion in the hand, let alone mandate it, without a two-thirds majority vote. Individual bishops have no authority to make exceptions to this norm. None. The Vatican promotes communion on the tongue, not only for its long tradition, but because it expresses, quote, it expresses the faithful's reverence for the Eucharist and removes the danger of profanation. Since it is a permission, it does not generate, though, an absolute right. You have the absolute right to receive it on the tongue. You do not have the absolute right to receive it in the hand. This I did not know. And the pastors can rescind permission, either generally or in particular circumstances, if objective motives exist, such as a lot of people that run the risk of hosts falling to the ground or stealing of hosts. Do you know that the Vatican does not allow communion in the hand? Did you know this? One reason is because tourists were taking the Holy Eucharist home as a souvenir. Tourists. They weren't even Catholics. They just saw a bunch of people getting in line. So they would get in line. They saw people going like this, so they went like this, and they would, oh, I got a souvenir from Rome. Do you understand the difficulty here? Let's go to our next slide. This is at the National Shrine. This is what I was telling you about when the wind was blowing and the hosts were blown. We had to mandate you're only receiving on the tongue. A bishop may forbid communion in the hand, but can never forbid communion on the tongue. Notice Germ 160 says, quote, the consecrated host may be received either on the tongue or in the hand at the discretion of each communicant. It does not say at the discretion of the Eucharistic minister or the priest or even the bishop. It doesn't say that. Let's look at our next slide. Since the indult, profanation or profanation has occurred. Let me quote you John Paul. This is John Paul, his exact words. Quote, <clears throat> in some countries, the practice of receiving communion in the hand has been introduced. This is the words of John Paul. However, cases of a deplorable lack of respect toward the Eucharist species have been reported. Cases that are imputable not only to the individuals guilty of such behavior, but also to the pastors of the church who have been vigilant enough, who have not been, I'm sorry, not been vigilant enough regarding the attitude of the faithful toward the Eucharist. In other words, they're not sensing the sign of the times. It also happens that the free choice of those who prefer to continue the practice of receiving the Eucharist on the tongue is not being taken into account in places where the distribution of communion in the hand has been allowed. In other words, he's saying it's causing abuse and those who want to receive on the tongue are not being recognized. Let's go to our next slide. Is it the right for laypersons to be Eucharistic ministers or extraordinary ministers? This is a very important question because many of you are, and I'm not, I'm, trust me, I'm not condemning it. There is a time and a place and a need for it, okay? 
But if you are a Eucharistic minister and you have a very healthy, able-bodied priest and he says, I just don't feel like it right now, you go distribute. You have the moral obligation to say, Father, I'm sorry. Actually, I don't. Now, if he's 98 years old and you got 600 people in the mass, yes, you need to step up as the extraordinary minister. Okay, so priests and deacons, who are the ordinary ministers? The ordinary ministers of Holy Communion are deacons, priests, and bishops. All right, despite the term extraordinary minister, lay persons can serve in this role at their parishes regularly if there is legitimate need. All right, having extraordinary ministers is a matter of changeable church discipline not unchangeable doctrine. So now I'm going to flip to the other side here. So all of you who want to attack receiving in the hand and saying that it is not allowed to be changed, it's not doctrine. It's not dogmatic revelation. It is discipline. We have in the church, the church has the authority to change discipline. What I'm arguing is, yes, you have that authority, magisterium, but look at what's going on and stick to the norms of what it should be on the tongue. But if it does happen to be in the hand, that is not a violation of dogmatic revelation or even doctrine. This is a matter of discipline. Okay. Now, here's what's very, very important because having extraordinary ministers in a time of need, that's the key is a matter of changeable church discipline, not unchangeable doctrine, and thus falls under the church's God-given disciplinary power. The magisterium has this authority. Let's look at our next slide. Extraordinary ministers may be used to assist the ordinary ministers, priests, deacons, and bishops, only in the following circumstances. This is what you need to listen to. This is the only time where we should have extraordinary Eucharistic ministers. One, at a mass when the size of the congregation would unduly prolong the reception of Holy Communion. And I'm not talking 30 people. We're talking in the Philippines. I, I, a couple years ago, I had a mass. I was the only priest, 1,200 people. Now, I just got off the plane. I had jet lag. The mass had already gone real long, 1,200 people, I'm the only priest. That warrants. That is a need. Two, when the ordinary ministers, again, the deacon, priest, or bishop, would be prevented from distributing Holy Communion by ill health, advanced age, or other pastoral obligations. Like I said, my mom and dad's priest who's 99 years old. Three, when the number of sick and homebound in various places like hospitals, nursing homes, or private homes is impossible for the priest to do it all. They're scattered all over the county. You got one priest and you got 200 people homebound with COVID. He can't physically do it all. So there is a need for an extraordinary minister to go to give Holy Communion. So this requires the assistance to provide for Holy Communion. So those are the only examples. Not doing it just for the sake of doing it. 
These are the only times, and they must be instructed and trained. I think this is where we have a problem. If you are a Eucharistic minister, don't put it in a pix and stick it in your pocket and then go shopping. Okay? Um, don't take it, throw it on your back seat, and go get ice cream. Don't take it and put it in your purse and then run errands. The Eucharistic minister should be at least 21 years old. And the USCCB liturgy guide stresses proper reverence. Here's one, attire. Attire. If you are a Eucharistic minister, dressing modestly. And the handling. Always do reverence. You don't blare the radio. You're driving to the homebound. You're not blaring the radio, arguing on your cell phone as our Lord is present. You should be given the primacy of place. No extraordinary ministers should be used if the priest is able to do it. That's the key. Nobody has the right to distribute Holy Communion. I think that's why that woman, hands burned in purgatory. According to Maria Sima, she said she had the right. No. It's a privilege given by the church. Intinction. What's intinction? Where the host is placed into the precious blood, the consecrated host placed in the precious blood, and it is consumed. Intinction is not a right. The priest got mad at me. It was my first year after ordination. I'm distributing Holy Communion. This woman grabs it out of my hand and turns to walk to the chalice, which was like 10 feet away, and dip it in the chalice and give it to herself. And I calmly, quietly, and nicely corrected her, and the priest got very angry with me. You don't self-communicate. Okay? Let's look at our next slide. St. John Paul. He spoke a lot on this. Dominique Sene, he said, quote, to touch the sacred species. Let's look at our next slide. And to distribute them with their own hands is a privilege of the ordained. One which indicates an active participation in the ministry of the Eucharist. It is obvious that the church can grant this faculty to those who are neither priests nor deacons, as in the case with acolytes, especially if they are destined for future ordination, or with other lay people <clears throat> who are chosen for this to meet a just need, but always after adequate preparation. So there has to be a need, and you must be trained. All right, now we're going to go to the interesting thing. Let's go to our next slide. What is more ancient, communion in the hand or communion on the tongue? Very interesting. I've done a lot of research on this. All right, the most ancient practice of distributing Holy Communion was most likely to give Holy Communion to the faithful in the palm of the hand, although some disagree. Most of what I've researched, studied, and people I've talked to, it seems to be the case. But there's a lot to this. Let's talk about this. This was the common practice of the church in both the East and the West the first 800 years. Now, it was backed. It was talked about in Africa and Egypt. It is mentioned by Tertullian. 
Cyprian, Augustine, Cyril of Alexandria. They all talked about communion in the hand, but you're going to be surprised when I follow up with what I'm going to say. In Jerusalem, we have the catechesis of Cyril of Jerusalem. In Syria, Basil the Great, John Chrysostom, John Damascene, and the Council of Constantinople. We also have evidence of receiving in the hand in France and Britain. It's clear that the role of receiving Holy Communion this way in the hand was reverent and was to be carried out reverently. I think that's one of the differences. But wait till you hear this coming up. Now, Cyril of Jerusalem, let's look at our next slide. This is Cyril of Jerusalem. He likened the practice to that of receiving a king and notes the method of reception was enjoining your hands in the form of a cross. So you would go up with your hands in the form of a cross. Now, many claim that this was not originally from St. Cyril, but it was a later interpretation of his text. So I got to acknowledge that. But others claim that St. Cyril was referring to the clergy and not the faithful. When you can celebrate, the, you're brought, you're, you're a can celebrate, but you're brought Holy Communion. Now, I'm a priest, but I take communion in my hands when I can celebrate. It's brought to me by the main celebrant. So a lot of people think Cyril of, of Jerusalem was talking about the priest to receive in the hands. It's very interesting. Others claim that Cyril was referring, um, as I said, to the clergy not, not, uh, of, and not the faithful. But both John Chrysostom and the Council of Constantinople in 692 argue, listen to this, that human beings made in the image of God are capable of communing with him and are more worthy to touch the Eucharist than vessels made of gold and silver. Whoa. I was kind of surprised. Now, let's look at our next slide. But here's what I was telling you about. This might surprise you. What I found out, that when they received by the hand, it wasn't on their hand. They had a veil. So all research shows that all this talk about receiving in the hand is technically correct, but you see the image, if Brother Mark could put it on the screen, they may have received with a veil over their hands so it never touched their hands. Look at that picture. It's an ancient drawing of a communicant receiving, but the veil is over their hands. And then they would consume. They never touched it. They would consume it. So technically it's in the hands. But everybody who uses this argument that it's more ancient, Father, and all those people I listed, Basil the Great and John Chrysostom, John Damascene, Tertullian, Cyprian, Augustine, Cyril of Alexandria, Cyril of Jerusalem, they all talk about receiving the hands. You've got to ask yourself, but how? Was there a veil? Did they consume directly? This is a very interesting question. The whole point, everybody, is reverence is what's most important. The attitude of the heart. I could see one person receiving in the hand way more reverent, way more reverent, and how they properly hold it 
Sometimes they go directly to eat where they don't touch it, even consuming any particles, stopping, bowing, more reverent, more proper attitude of the heart than somebody who comes and just snatches it, like I said, a snapping turtle. This is the point. Reverence is most important. If we follow the example of the church fathers, we will prioritize practices that prevent the dropping of the Eucharist. We will catechize our communicants not to receive in the state of mortal sin. That's the problem. I'm much more concerned about you receiving in a state of mortal sin than I am by the hand or the tongue. Even though this is critically important because it's causing abuse and, and, and irreverence. But the history of the liturgy shows early on this process that I just described, even with the veil, do you know what happened? They stopped it. They stopped it. This is a proven fact. The motivation for this practice of stopping and reading the hand was one, to avoid as much as possible dropping particles, and two, to increase among the faithful devotion of the real presence of Christ in the sacrament, which they were believing receiving in the hand was not doing. People were seeing it more as a symbol. Now, here comes Vatican II. Although no documents say to receive in the hand, after Vatican II, both of these problems became really great. But they don't need to be. We can still be reverent. We can prevent hosts from falling on the floor. We can be catechized to know whether you go by tongue or hand that you don't receive in mortal sin. Now, what if you're not sure you're in mortal sin? I'll show a video here at the end of this talk. It's going to answer that question. It's only a minute long. We can look to the fathers for a pious example as we seek to build reverence towards the Eucharist. We need to teach, as the fathers did, that reverence is not only the proper reception of the Eucharist on the tongue, but also about living the kind of life to which the Eucharist commits us. The problem of a lack of reverence stems not from just the manner of receiving tongue or hand, not just that, but from a lack of faith, a lack of awe, a lack of the sense of the sacred, a lack of gratitude, a lack of reverence. That's why we have to look at, well, going back to more receiving on the tongue help change that? I hope so. But receiving in the hand, all right, an early gospel, you know what the apocryphal gospels are? Not the deuterocanonical gospels. Those are like wisdom, Tobit, Maccabees. Those are true gospels. Those are in our Bible. The, the Martin Luther took them out. There were seven. Those are called the deuter deuterocanonical Bibles or scriptures. I'm talking about the apocryphal, ones that were never considered inspired by the Holy Spirit but could be useful, like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of Mary. People get angry at the Catholic Church you're trying to hide. No, Gospel of Thomas does not mean it was written by Thomas. Gospel of Mary does not mean it was written by Mary. We call these apocryphal because they're not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's an apocryphal writing called the Rosano Gospels, which it depicts the Last Supper 
and shows a communion line where the disciples received with cupped hands while bowing down. Maybe that's why it's apocryphal. <laughs> but others say the Jewish custom was to put the, 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 the host, whoever was holding the dinner party, was to put the bread on the tongue of the guest. So this was the question, did Jesus do this with his apostles? The Jews and the apostles of the East in general had and today still have the custom of taking food with their hand and placing it directly in the mouth of their loved ones. So it would make sense that that's what Jesus did. Let's look at our next slide. The Eastern and the Western tradition of icons from the 5th to the 16th century depicted Christ as giving Holy Communion to the apostles directly in the mouth. Either way, it's how reverent you are when you receive. Is it a mortal sin to receive in the hand? No, it can't be because the church officially permits it. If you're in an area, the church has officially permitted and they would not allow it. They would not be able to if it was a mortal sin. However, could it be of those who approved it? Mm. In the hand is permissible because it is a matter of discipline, as I said, not doctrine. However, this can be only in countries where there was a dispensation that had been given because the norm, the tradition of uh, receiving on the tongue was given an indult, but the Holy See granted an indult. Okay, granted an indult, allowing the faithful to receive in the hand. That's the only time you can is if you're in those areas. So if you're in another area, you should know the local custom. Let's go to our next slide. Mother Teresa, this is very interesting. Now, Mother Teresa of Calcutta was quoted by Father George Rutler in a Good Friday sermon back in 1989. Now, listen to this. He asked her, Mother, what do you think is the worst problem in the world today? She, more than anyone, could name any number of candidates, such as famine, plague, disease, poverty, the breakdown of the family, rebellion against God, the corruption of the media, world debt, nuclear threat, and so on. But according to Father George Rutler, without pausing, she said, wherever I go in the world, the thing that makes me the saddest is watching people receive communion in the hand. Now, in all fairness, the mother of Teresa of Calcutta Center in California issued a clarification. And I think this is very important because th that argument is used a lot. I've read it a hundred times in the last week. But the mother Teresa of Calcutta Center in California, location kind of bothers me a little bit, but they issued a clarification saying mother Teresa would not have contradicted the church. On receiving Holy Communion, she wrote to her sisters, quote, This is like the permission of the bishops given some years ago for receiving Holy Communion in the hand. It is allowed, but not an order. 
not a demand. So what this center, Calcutta Center in California was saying is that Mother Teresa maybe wasn't a big fan of receiving in the hand, but she said because the church allowed it, it is allowed, but it is not an order, meaning you don't have to do it, meaning you can receive on the tongue, and all her sisters receive on the tongue. They said, this statement does not seem authentic to us. We have never heard Mother Teresa saying these words, nor read them in any of her writings. Okay, so if you want to dispute that quote, you still can't dispute the fact that all her sisters received on the tongue. All right, so we can't condemn what the church permits. We can't. What we can do is pray that the church be enlightened to correct things that maybe they wrongfully permitted. All right, even if it came about the wrong way, if the church permits it, you cannot be in the state of grave sin. Okay? Now, if you're receiving irreverently with no belief in the real presence and mocking it or laughing or paying no attention in a reverent way, then you are guilty of sin no matter how you receive it. So we can't say never for the laity being allowed to touch our Lord. I gave you the three examples of when the laity can touch. And Father Mark Goring, you want to know a really good priest? Father Mark Goring. He's got a lot of YouTube videos out there. I talk to him every once in a while. This guy's the real deal. And he's in the bastion of Canada. How he's still allowed to be in ministry is only purely the grace of God. And he says it as it is. He's challenged the Holy See. He's spoken up way much more, believe it or not, than even me on social justice issues like abortion and the, and the, and the pandemic. Guy's amazing. And he said, we can't demand uniformity where the church allows diversity of custom. So although we don't like it, we can't condemn those who choose it. Germ 278, germ meaning the general instruction of the Roman Missal, says that the priest should purify his fingers from the fragments. That's why you see me during the purification, I pour water over my fingers. And then I go to the back, and when Brother Mark and Brother Ken come up for Holy Communion, I go to the tabernacle, and I distribute Holy Communion. But if you look, we have water to the right base of the tabernacle that the priest is to purify his fingers from any fragments of the host from touching it. Now, here's my question. All this discussion, to me, the most basic question is just have the laity purify their fingers. Now, I don't know how exactly would be the best way to do it, but... To me, why not the laity? If the priest has to purify, why not the laity? The ordinary way is on the tongue, but there's nothing illicit receiving in the hands, as long as you're reverent. But I say we pray that the church should readdress this. I say we pray that the church readdress this issue. Right now, as it is, you cannot be in sin, but is it prudent? 
Is it most reverent? These are the questions. All right, so let's finish by how to receive. Let's go to our next slide. As St. Cyril of Jerusalem said, we just talked about a minute ago, he told the newly baptized in the sacred congregation for divine worship states the same thing, that the faithful should extend their hands when receiving, if you're going to receive in the hands, making the left hand a throne for the right hand as to receive a king. What are you doing? You're creating a throne that the king can be sat on. Now, again, whether I personally don't agree with receiving in the hand, but if you at least reverently in an area the church says it's okay, do that. The person then steps to the side, faces the altar, and consumes the sacred host. Now the recipient must be mindful of any particles consuming those also. You just don't toss it up in the air like a M&M. This is ridiculous. This is our Lord. This is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Almost done. In the United States, quote, the norm is that Holy Communion is to be received standing unless an individual member of the faithful wishes to receive communion while kneeling. You have every right to kneel and receive on the tongue. If you remain standing, a bow is the act of reverence made by those receiving in the hand. You come up, you make a bow. Any baptized Catholic who is not prevented by law must be admitted to Holy Communion. When do we deny it? I'll talk about that in a minute. But the church teaches that I cannot deny Holy Communion to any of the faithful solely on grounds, for example, that the person wishes to kneel. I can't tell them, and we have videos all over YouTube of priests not giving Holy Communion to those who kneel to receive on the tongue. They wouldn't give it. They are absolutely wrong. Again, this is Redemptionis Sacramentum number 90. So you bow the head, you come forward with your tongue out if you're receiving, or your hands, not both. Not both. You really confuse the priest. So if you're going to receive on the tongue, keep a couple things in mind. Open your mouth properly. Okay? Don't snap at it. People do this. You receive it. You open your mouth, and the tongue should come out over your bottom teeth at the same level. Sometimes if you extend your tongue out too far, the Eucharist rolls off. If you keep your tongue level with your bottom teeth, the priest places it in, and then it can't fall away. If your tongue comes way out and the priest puts it on the end of the tongue because he's afraid of touching you, the host can fall off. So, again, be careful. So you have it equal to the bottom lip so that the priest has some place to place our Lord. You can kneel, but don't take an extreme amount of time. You got people behind you. 
And when you get up, don't step backwards. I've seen people knock over the next people and be cognizant if you're coming up behind, not to get too close because somebody could back up. Rise straight up. It is not necessary to genuflect after receiving. This is very surprising to people. You can genuflect before receiving, but why is it not necessary to genuflect after? You have to make some form of reverence before, like a sign of the cross, genuflection, a bow. You make that before receiving the Eucharist, but it may be kneeling, like I said, bowing, crossing yourself or some other act. But why is it not necessary to genuflect? I've had people receive and then turn, take two steps and genuflect to the tabernacle. Why do you not do that? Because now you're the tabernacle. The Lord is now in you. That's the reason. Why is it necessary to receive with reverence and dignity? There's no genuflection after receiving. You don't genuflect to the tabernacle because the Lord is within you. You are the tabernacle. If you're going to receive in the hand, the best way is to put one hand down and put the other hand on top of it to make, as Tertullian used to say, a kind of throne for the Lord. Don't grab it out of the priest's hands. Okay, that's a very common one. Don't receive it with gloves on. We don't receive the host with gloves on. Receive it and take a step or two to the side and consume should not be received on the run. So many people are halfway down that aisle before they consume it. No. Receive it, take the step, consume it, and then exit. Before you leave the area is when you should consume. Patents, patents should be used. And so we here at the Marian Fathers use patents. So the two main dispositions that you need are faith and devotion. Do you remember when um, in the gospel where Peter jumped into the lake, he took his clothes off and jumped into the Sea of Galilee? What did John say before Peter jumped in the water? It's the Lord. This is what you should be thinking every time you walk up this aisle. Not looking at your watch, not staring at the ceiling paintings, not fidgeting, turning off your cell phone that should have been off. You should be like John. It is the Lord. So that when you come up to receive, in natural awe, you should fall to your knees. It's not required, but if you really are in tune with what you are receiving, you will automatically fall to your knees. Now, some can't. My dad's had two knee replacements. He can't fall to his knees or he'll never get up. But for the rest of us, it is the Lord. This is truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity. This is what brings us to divine life. This is what unites us with God. 
how could we not be reverent? What God has given us in this Eucharist is beyond. Faustina keeps using the word unfathomable. We can't even comprehend it. You know, Faustina wrote 16 different prayers about the Eucharist. The Eucharist. This is powerful. Now kneeling, let's show our next slide. We're, I just keep saying we're almost done. Why do we kneel? Isaiah 45, every kneel shall bow before me. Not some knees. Every knee shall bow before me. That's Isaiah 45. The Western church has established kneeling as one of the signs of appropriate devotion. You know, Cardinal Ratzinger said, quote, communion only reaches its true depth when it is supported and surrounded by adoration. This is the spirit of the liturgy, page 90. I was just reading it yesterday. St. Augustine said, no one eats that flesh without first adoring it. We should sin where we we should sin were we not to adore it. Sorry, I got that quote myself. We would sin if we were not to adore it. Wow. Kneeling indicates and promotes the adoration necessary before receiving the Eucharistic Christ. Again, some of you physically cannot. I understand. Please don't think if you come here that I'm not going to give you Holy Communion because you can't kneel. No. Just all I ask is that you receive reverently. In the United States, the norm became receiving while standing in the hand, which caused the removal of kneelers. We Marian fathers put that kneeler back out. Pius X said we, this is what he said, to receive one should kneel. I honestly think we should bring back the communion rails. Because it separates the sanctuary, which is heaven, from earth. But the two come together at the communion rail. Amazing. Communion on the tongue helps to foster a proper sense of reverence and piety. To step up to a communion rail and to kneel and to receive on the tongue, total act of humility. The Desert Father said that God, listen to this. I'd never heard this till I, I read it doing my research here. I think these should be added back to my seminary courses. Do you know that the church father said that once God made the devil reveal himself in his physical form and he had no knees? Satan had no knees. The church father said that when God made the devil reveal himself and saw that he had no knees because he refused to kneel. He has his inability to kneel. His inability to kneel is the essence of the diabolical. That's what the church father said. Now, again, I'm not talking about physical constraints. 
It's in the will. I wish I could kneel, but I can't. That's totally different from I can kneel, but I refuse to. Can everyone receive Holy Communion? No, of course not. Why not? Because we can bring condemnation on ourselves, Paul tells us, if we eat this bread unworthily. The church is stressed having the right interior dispositions and fully understanding what you are receiving. All right, this is why not just anyone can come to Mass and receive. And people start to attack the church in its exclusion. You're excluding. No. I wanted to be an air, uh, a fighter pilot. I had appointment to the Air Force Academy. God changed my direction. But just because I want to be a fighter pilot, now I fly all over the world. Do I get on the plane and say, you know what? Um, I really feel like flying this plane today. What would anybody tell me? You're a nut. You can't fly this plane. You're not prepared. You haven't been trained. You haven't been shown the meaning and the significance of the instruments and the meaning and the detail of how to fly this thing. Just because you want to fly it doesn't mean it makes any sense that you actually fly. You're not prepared. The church has never denied anybody Holy Communion that truly wants it and prepares for it and is in a state of grace. So the church, this is what we have to do. Let's show our next slide. Should anybody be denied Holy Communion? Right now I'm showing a picture of the government. <laughs> Canon 915 says those who have been excommunicated or obstinately persevering in manifest grave sin are not to be admitted to Holy Communion. Now, to be manifest, that means the sin has to be known by the community, not that the priest knows your personal struggles from spiritual direction. I can't deny you communion for that. All right. Knowledge by the priest alone is not justifying cause, according to the church, for dying holy, de denying holy communion. Public withholding of the Eucharist for something that is not known, even grave sin, I cannot deny you. I didn't know this. Now, the priest, though, is not even required to give you a warning. If a politician comes in here, <clears throat> if a politician from Washington that we all know has a horrendous voting record, public voting record, in promotion of the death of the innocent children and promoting abortion and has stated that this is absolutely needed, and that communion or that politician came in here, I will not give them Holy Communion. It's just because they are bringing condemnation upon themselves. They're not prepared. A priest needs to deny politicians. Here's a tough one, divorced and remarried. If you're divorced and remarried without an annulment, and if you remain obstinate in that, I can't give Holy Communion. Even if some are living as brother and sister. Now, this is very interesting. Father Matthew Tomini and I were talking yesterday. He said, I know some priests that even have come back, people have come back to the church. Okay, they, they were divorced and remarried without an annulment. And they're living together. 
and they've committed to living as brother and sister. But how many people know that? Should you give them public Holy Communion? That's interesting. Should you? Yes or no? Why not? They're living as brother and sister. Okay, that's the correct answer. They still have the appearance of scandal because nobody knows. So what these priests did, they gave them Holy Communion. They have every right to Holy Communion, but they did it after Mass in the sacristy. Very difficult, but very effective. Do you know John Paul II denied Holy Communion to the president of France? God bless him. If we think we have mortal sin, but we're not sure, should you receive? Let's watch this last part. Now I am officially done. We have a one and a half minute video, and this is going to answer the question, if you think you have mortal sin on your soul, should you receive? Let's watch the video. One of the issues that I have is whenever I'm an idiot and I commit some sort of a sin, I have trouble discerning whether or not it's a mortal sin or not. And I wonder if it's ever a good idea to refrain from receiving communion if I'm unsure about my state of grace or if I should receive it if I um, am not aware absolutely of being in the having committed a grave sin. That is a great question, Daniel, and, and I'm going to answer it with a yes and a no, and this is why, <laughs> this is why. bear with me, because generally speaking, and I would, I would refer you to Romans chapter 14, verse 23, where St. Paul says, but he who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not act from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So as a general theological and moral principle, we say it is never good to act on a doubting conscience, because if you do, you're saying, hey, I'm willing to take it's, it's kind of like if you're out on a hunting trip and you see some rustling over there in the bush and you've got a shotgun, you say, well, you know what? I'm not sure if that's a man or or a bird over there, but I'll just take a shot here and see, right? Well, if that's a man, you're going to kill somebody there. You should not act until you know that that's not a human, but that's a bird or, or whatever it is that you're hunting. That analogous to the spiritual life. If you are doubting as to whether or not you should receive, you generally should not. That's, that's the simple answer. And that's why I say no. However, there's also a yes, because, Daniel, there are those who suffer from scrupulosity. And scrupulosity is, is a spiritual disorder. Okay, well, thank you, everybody. That completes our talk on receiving Holy Communion. We're going to talk more about this in the future. I just had two quick questions at the break that I'd like to finish with. The first one was, what do you do if the priest refuses to allow you to receive on the tongue? Now, that's up to you. I answered the question by saying, I personally would not let anything stop me from receiving Holy Communion, okay? So if the only way at the moment, without causing a scene, 
is to receive by the hand, I would, making sure that I receive all the particles. I personally go up directly. I don't take the host with my other hand. I, I personally go straight. And then I know it's probably not the most mannerly thing, but I, I rick any of the particles. That, that's just me, okay? And so I know that there's no particles. But don't cause a scene. Don't cause an argument there during the Mass. But you have every right to follow up with the bishop or even the Holy See, uh, the dicastery for divine worship and the discipline of the sacraments to follow up that you were denied. You have recourse. Hopefully it's not the bishop, as I said, that's, that's, that's denying you. Um, and so, so you do have a right to follow up, but I would not suggest causing a scene at that moment, but you definitely should follow up because that is your right to receive on the tongue, okay? And then the second question was, what about the precious blood? Okay, both species have the complete body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Now, in that, that means if you only receive the host, you're not being shortchanged, okay? Christ's body is present in the blood, and his blood is present in the, in the body. In other words, if you receive just the host, you're receiving body, blood, soul, and divinity. If you see the precious blood only, like some people who are sick and can't eat, I put a drop of precious blood on their tongue. That is still the full body, blood, soul, and divinity. And um, we have one of our guys here, Paul. I could ask Paul, uh, was that concomitance or circumcision? That's concomitance, right? Conco yeah. So you, you have our Lord present concomitantly. The precious blood is concomitantly present in the host, and the host is concomitantly present in the blood. And so by circumcision, all the Trinity is present. It's amazing. And so you, you're not being shortchanged. All we know is this is everything. Everything. Receive it respectfully. Pray on how you receive it. Hopefully now you have a little better understanding of how it came to be. Eh. But we still follow the church and we still thank God for the gift. So all of you, I hope that you'll continue to pray that the Holy See readdresses this because it's becoming a big issue. And if you'd like to learn more about Holy Communion and the Mass, let me show our next slide. You can get our book, Understanding Divine Mercy. Um, this is uh, the book I wrote that goes into much detail of Holy Communion, the Eucharist, everything you need to know about the beautiful gift in Holy Communion. That is there on, on you could call us uh, at 800-462-7426 or uh, shopmercy.org. And if you can't afford a copy, you really want it, you really will read it, I'll send it to you for free. Uh, the next one is our book, If You Are Suffering. And right now, after my trip to Ireland, my whole life, my, my whole outlook has changed in one weekend visit to that country. Those people were so incredible, so amazing, but boy, are they suffering. This book is not just about suicide. It's about any kind of suffering or loss and how God's mercy is present. And uh, finally, become a Marian helper. I think I messed up Brother Mark on the order of the slides. I apologize. Become a Marian helper. Help us pray for you. We, you pray for us. 
micprayers.org, and you can definitely be part of our Marian family. It doesn't cost anything. I don't care if you ever donate. Again, yes, we appreciate the lights being kept on, but that's not the point. The point is we pray for you, you pray for us. Please become a member of our Marian family, micprayers.org. God bless you. Thank you so much. Name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady, Mother of Mercy, pray for us. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. The talk has finished. Thanks be to God. Thank you, everybody. God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.